This podcast is dedicated to the proposition that every Christian should be a constant and devoted reader of the Bible, and that the primary business of the church and its ministry is to lead, foster, and encourage people in this life-changing habit. So here we are back in Luke, Luke chapters 13 through 18, I believe. Uh, Johnny's with us again. He was uh, AWOL there for a bit, but he's uh, come back into the fold. So, <laughs> yeah, so so welcome back, Johnny. Lenny's here with us. Ben, as always, Dave, of course, and myself. And so we're jumping in. We're in 13 through 18. Uh, I think we left off somewhere in 14, but you know, I know as soon as I let this thing go, it's kind of open fire, and we'll probably <laughs> jump all around. But um, I believe that's around where we where we left off. Yeah. But um, but let's uh, let's jump in. Anything that stands out to any of you guys? One thing that I missed so many times with the parable of you know with the son coming home, the prodigal son coming home, I literally uh, missed this until last week and we've read it over and over and over again you know the the prodigal son is god i want your inheritance i mean god dad i want your inheritance before you die please give me all everything and he goes and blows it all um which is very common in today's world we blow through our money sometimes if we're not paying attention and it's very easy and he and he got hungry he's he knew that uh he was without and his dad was still alive right and he's like if i can at least be hired as a as a servant then I'll at least be able to eat. So he premeditated all of this. And as he was going to see his dad, what like I, what popped out to me was he, his dad saw him coming. Yeah. Like the father saw him coming and he didn't get to uh, speak on the things that he premeditated to his dad to try to get him to be convinced to take him in as a, as a servant, even Mm. God, he's like, I don't even deserve to be your son, you know, listen that. And, Instead, it was the complete opposite. And how often do we like think we, we're coming to God with something? Um, like, you're, you know, with, we have the elections, all that stuff, you're coming to God with something, but he already knows you're coming to him to ask about those things. And you're, you're astonished by the answer that you might get, whether it's good or something that you weren't expecting. My point that I'm trying to get at is that I didn't see that right away, that God saw him coming. And I think that's just a, an extraordinary thing for us to to pick apart for yeah, sure. That's good. Yeah. And also like the embrace, because the whole thing, like, yeah, he's coming back there, and he's right. like, I, I want to work as a servant for my father because it's better than the situation I'm in now. Right. Because he's he's stealing food from the pigs right. that he's feeding. Because yeah. he didn't have enough money right. to feed himself. So he's like, I'm gonna go and live with my dad because my dad he fed his servants. Right. I remember living there, and our servants were treated really well. They were treated better than this. I would rather be right. that. And he's right. going there. He has hat in hand. He's surrendering, and his dad's like, "You're my son. Right. You're not my servant. Right. He didn't think. Here's your robe. Right. 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 You're right back to where you were. Right. Exactly. Welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome. But home. what's crazy too is that like even think about us. Right. We we like to go to church. We like to serve. Yep. Um. If someone goes for a long time and comes back, how often do we act like his brother? Mm. Where he was upset yeah. that he, like, you know, his dad was blessing, you know, his brother so much. But what about me? Like, <laughs> what about yeah. me, right? You know, my, uh, my sister went to prison a couple of times. And when she would come home, I would feel that. Mm. Because it's like, oh, you're home, you're home, here's your bedroom, yeah. and you know, dinner's at six, oh, you're gonna go smoke? Okay, go smoke, you know, yeah. and, and like, yeah. I'm like... My theory is that the prodigal son parable is actually about 
the brother mm. thing. I mean, it's about other stuff too. Yeah. But I believe that when we talk about the prodigal son, we often put ourselves in the position of the prodigal son coming home to the dad. Yep. But I think we're actually probably more better served putting ourselves in the position of the brother. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And how do you act when you're praying for something and oh. God blesses somebody oh. else with it? Yep. Exactly. How, how do you handle things when you're going stale in your faith and you see somebody else growing in their faith and you know moving forward how do you feel when mm-hmm. when you know you, you're you're believing God for you know uh, a baby and somebody else ends up Dude. getting pregnant <laughs> or when you're looking for a spouse and somebody else gets it or you're looking for the job promotion and somebody else, it's like yep. like I think that that for us is some of the biggest take-homes of that parable yep. is the brother yep. well, what about me what about me? I mean, you know, I, I relate to it a lot because, you know, unlike, say, Johnny's past and upbringing, you know, I, I was brought up in the church. Right? So you're the brother on the Right. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. so, so I mean, it can, there can be that. It's like, well, but I never, I never, wa- I never went that right. far down the rabbit trail. Right. So what right. about me? Yeah. You know, and it, it's easy to get into this yeah. thing mm-hmm. and then to begrudge people for growing in their faith and God pouring out his blessings on them and they come in and they're like, man, I'm just so in love with, with God. And you see that in the parable of the woman who, who poured the, the perfume, was it? Yeah. On Jesus' feet and everybody's upset. And he's like, well, who, who loves me more? Perfume, who loves me right. more? The person who's forgiven a lot or who's forgiven a little? Of course, you know, like this girl, like her sins were many. And so she loves a lot. And so there's this tendency of this hierarchy in faith where it's like, like, well, you know, I, I should, mm. because I've been in this longer and I've been doing this and I've, you know, it's like, God should bless me. And why, why are you blessing them? And why are you so excited right. that they're back when I never even left? I think that both sons and the father, I think there's, they're all important here. It, yes. And a lot of times people forget about when I, I remember when this was read when I was younger and growing up Catholic, you know, if they would, you know, point out this particular parable, we're focused on the prodigal son, they call it. The parable could easily be called um, the gracious father, parable right. of the gracious father. It could or be the called, bitter brother. It could be called the parable of the two sons, right. something like mm-hmm. that. So, And that's the beauty part about this parable. Yeah. It could be seen like from all three aspects, because you can also go and say, well, what about the father? Right. Shouldn't he be thinking, well, you know, I'm doing all this for this kid who's coming back. His brother, I'm ignoring him. Yeah. Maybe I should go and, you know, and there's lessons all around. But and, and if we, yeah, if we, I was just thinking of what we were talking about at the beginning in, in, in Johnny's comment about forsaking, but let, let's just focus on we forsaking God. So it is about the younger son to start with. Mm-hmm. And, and the younger son has forsaken God. And forsaking his father, the allegory, the symbolism there is he has forsaken God. And do we do that? You know, do we, um, I think we can be both. Now, Judas saying maybe we identify, we should identify more with the, the son. And maybe we do in the position, the, the older son, maybe we do in the position that we're in. But there's times when I could think about it that uh, in my life, when I was younger, I probably was the younger son, the prodigal son. And there were times in my life when I was the older son. Uh, and, and, and so I, I've been both, <clears throat> excuse me, and you forsake God. So both, both there, there's sin on both sides there. I, I think the younger son, there's a sin of 
greed and mm. lust, and you could put that all under pride. So sin of pride, I would call. The, the older son, I, I would say just the opposite, sin of virtue. You know, he, he said, well, you know, I did this. I was this way. I was that. be like us saying to God, you, you're going to forgive him or her, and, and I've done nothing. You know, I, and, and, but I've always been there, though. God has always been there for me. But you want to act like the older brother and, and espouse your virtue, or as the, 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 the phrase today, virtue signaling is what mm. he was doing. Mm. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, what do I get if I, if I was the, the younger son? It's more about God to me than in the end, I think about the Father in this, in that it's God. And what is Jesus showing us? Mm-hmm. He is showing us what God is really like. He, he's showing us uh, in a dramatic fashion that God's, uh, God's gracious. He's got unconditional love. Mm-hmm. He shows yeah. us that God is always anxious to love, that he's quick to forgive, and this is somewhere, and that he's eager to reconcile. Mm-hmm. He wants us to live in that same spirit. And the older son, going back to if we identify with him, wasn't doing that. He wasn't anxious to love. He wasn't quick to forgive. He wasn't eager to reconcile. Mm-hmm. And now let me take it another step further, because I, I love this parable, and I just got into it so much. Mm-hmm. The older son is like the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. They, they couldn't mm-hmm. understand. Again, we know that they had good qualities, that Jesus didn't really condemn them. He just, he called them hypocrites. He called them scoundrels, but they just didn't get it. They couldn't understand a God that would forgive sinners, that would forgive the marginalized, that would forgive anybody that wasn't at their level. Why? They, they, why? They, they couldn't because get Because of that. the law, right? Because yeah. of the law. They, they just couldn't grasp what Jesus was saying, that God forgives everybody. He's willing to forgive. He's anxious to forgive. He's anxious to love, quick to forgive, eager to reconcile. And they could not comprehend that. They're like the older brother. Yeah. Can we be compassionate to the older brother? Can we be be compassionate for the Pharisees? Here is people who made a covenant, right? In the in the days of Moses and Aaron, right? Who who married God. That's what they did. That's what the covenant was of the Old Testament. I'll be your God, you'll be my people, and you're gonna live this way. And anyone who rebelled usually was killed. Was stoned outside of the city, you know, mass graves, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so here, these are the torchbearers of the faith, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the people who passed down this this virtuous, as you said before, Dave, mm-hmm. marriage proposal that God made, and keep the Sabbath day holy, right? Wash their hands, you know, mm-hmm. abstain from certain foods, abstain from being, you know, uh, quote unquote unclean by Torah law standards, right? Mm-hmm. And so, can we be compassionate? to Pharisees, don't you believe that God is a God of mercy, right? He's rich in mercy, it says slow to anger. And so do we not think that Jesus also will have compassion on them because they didn't understand? But is he also not gonna be just and say, well, you're a hypocrite. And all people everywhere must repent of hypocrisy. You, you can't have sin in God, you know? There was a couple things that I wanted to bring up. Judah mentioned, um, when he sees it, he sees the spotlight shift over to the older brother. Mm-hmm. When I first read this story, I always thought of the, the son. Then, of course, once you, you hear the parable of the, um, the landowner mm-hmm. who procures land, builds a tower, makes a wine press, and sows seeds for, for a vineyard, and then he hires people to work the land, mm-hmm. that whole parable of all that 
is essentially the same thing about these Pharisees right. being being the arbiters of the gatekeepers of faith on how to get to God and how to understand God's character and and be reconciled back to God. And what do they do? They kill the prophets. What do they do? They 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 kill the son, right? right? <clears throat> Which is again God, Jesus, yep. the prophets, and so on. So you start to realize that's the brother's character, like like David's saying here. But for me, it goes back to the father again because in this parable you see the father is representative of God's love and of his mercy and of mm. his compassion. Mm. And in furthermore, in Luke, we're going to get to it, but you see it's the parable of, uh, he says, which one of you, if your sheep, right, runs off, wouldn't go after him and get him, mm. right? And uh, there's that Corey Asbury song, right? He, he leaves the 99 to go get the one. And, and he, fi he finishes that parable by saying, there is more of a celebration basically in heaven <clears throat> for one sinner who repents than for 99 righteous people that are already living uh, in a, a God-honoring way, right? Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's also what I'm seeing here is like, that's God loves us so much, which is a harken back to Isaiah. Like, like lost sheep, we've all gone astray. So at, even at one point or another, that brother is gonna go astray. Yeah. Whether it's through his, you know, sin of being over-virtuous or maybe his own pride or so on and so forth. I, there's an interesting observation in 15 because we have three parables, right? We've got the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, and they all end the same except the lost son, right? Because the, the first one with the lost sheep says, when he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors, say, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. Same way there's more rejoicing like you just quoted. Same thing with the coin. Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. Many speculate this wasn't just normal currency coin, but it had something to do with the wedding celebration and the dowry or something to that effect. I don't exactly know. And then finally, we see this other one, and they're having a party, and then he's got the PS. It's like, it's like the what's, the what, the, yeah, it's like the what's different. And it's almost like this whole, it's like he's leading and they're like, oh, we see what you're doing. You're telling a story, something lost, found, rejoice, lost, found, rejoice, lost, found, rejoice. Oh, and then there's somebody upset about it. And, and it's just like this kind of like bait and switch almost how he, you know, is following this format of a story and then he turns it, um. And then, and then the last point I want to make is I think the real moral of the story is that if you're going to employ somebody to feed pigs, make sure you pay them enough that they can eat. You know, they don't have to eat the food. So be a good employer. You know, so. Wow. And I, and I want to springboard wow. on what you said, Judah. Yeah. Or give him they, some of the pig stuff. Yeah. Take him give, him, give him something, you know, for crying out loud. Don't make the guy work for nothing. The these, timing of that. We have these three parables in a row, and they're similar, as Judah said, until you get to... Uh, verse 25 in, in the parable of uh, the prodigal son, or whatever you want to call it, and then it takes a shift. Why did he do that? We have to go back and remember who he's talking to, why this occurred. And, and I had to do it. I said, okay, so why, why do we do it? Look at chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with sinful people, even eating with them. All right? Number, uh, verse 3. So Jesus told them this story. If a man, and now he goes on, and this is why we get to what Judas said in, in verse 25, is that all of a sudden it takes a turn, because as I said before, at least this is my opinion, when he starts talking about the older son, He's alluding to the Pharisees, and right. that's how this started. 
Right. This started because, you know, they're giving him a hard time about being with sinful people and sinner, sinners and, and whoever else he was associating with. And now he gets to verse 25. First, he, he warms them up with yeah. the story of the lost sheep, then the lost coin, and then the lost son. And then poof, all of a sudden, yep. Yep. And, and they know now he's talking about them. He's saying, okay, because they can't accept, they, they can't learn to forgive and accept like Jesus did, or like Jesus is saying that God does. They don't have that kind of mercy. They don't think that there's redemption for sinners and other people that weren't like them. Yeah, it's not an accident. It's not an accident. No. All I'm going to point out is this. Any, any Tanakh studying or Torah-keeping Pharisee, Sadducee, uh, whatever, right? When Jesus says the parable of the lost sheep, they in their heart would know what he's referencing as a rabbi. They know his station. He's a young rabbi. He's doing miracles. He's doing signs. God is with this guy. Nicodemus said it, right? Joseph of Arimathea, obviously, you know, and there were other Pharisees who spoke up on Jesus's behalf, right? In, in, in the New Testament. So it would have resonated with that type of a Pharisee. Wait a minute. Isaiah, like lost sheep, we've all gone astray. God, wait, God would celebrate. So, so Jesus is calculated here. He knows oh, who he's speaking to. Yeah. And the word of God is alive, right? And it's mm -hmm. powerful. And these are the words leaving the mouth of the Christ, of Jesus. Yeah. So just think, it's not going to fall on all deaf ears. No. Only those who have hardened hearts. Yeah. Mm. Well, take, take those people with hardened hearts. In this case, it was the Pharisees. Only because they thought, because of the law, they couldn't accept these people. What, what, what we might forget here, and, and again, after reading this over and over, I, I, get, I think I got the picture here. God is kinder than men and women. God is kinder than men and women. He'll forgive. And yet we're here on earth and we just, you guys, we all just jumped in before and said, yeah, I've done this before. I felt like the older son. We don't forgive as easily as God. And who are we? We're not as kind as God, but God is kinder than any man or woman. And, and after I get through reading these, in, in the end, I mean, when you, when you, when you boil this down, we need to remember, I mean, this is for me because I'm a sinner. I, I always think of that. I always think of Paul, and, and I've said this to you folks before. Remember, I have to remember that God accepts us. He accepts me, accepts you. He's with us always. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what other men and women did. In, in, in everything that Jesus did, he, he was saying, there's nothing in the world that you can do that will ever stop me from loving you. Mm -hmm. Think about that. This is what he's saying. There's nothing you can do that will ever stop me from loving you. That's what Jesus is saying here. Unconditional love it is something like, can even any of us truly say that we would give somebody unconditional love? Where if you showed up and they had blood on their hands and they said, I'm sorry, I did this horrible, horrible thing or something. I don't know. What, yeah. you, you, is, there, is there a limit? Well, you know? you're right, and there is. Would I do that? And yet we talk about it in here all the time when we end our prayer, when we end the session, and when we end our prayers. Are, are we going out and accepting everybody? Are we? Because Jesus has sent us out as healers, right, as ministers, mm -hmm. uh, uh, ministers of acceptance, if you will. But are we doing that? And I ask that rhetorically. Are we servants of mercy? Are, are we doing that? And, and I'm, I'm questioning myself. And, and are we, in the end, instruments of his love? Are we? And, and this is the challenge for, like, churches and stuff, because so often, you know, churches, we say that, hey, we're, we're welcoming, we love people, and all this stuff. And, and I've often kind of used the analogy of, the, of this story, the prodigal son, saying every person who comes in the doors 
um, potentially as a prodigal son or a daughter coming home. And who are we? Are we the brother when they come in? Are we greeting them? Are Haven't we... seen you in a while. Yeah. How you been? Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I just yeah. met some people this past weekend that um, that it was their second week coming, and they had previously been going to another uh, place nearby. Um, and we, you know, we were just kind of talking because they were kind of commenting on the. Um, age and demographic of our of our church <laughs> and I, and, I, and Johnny of course you came up in the conversation not from them but from me I was like yeah I said you know so some people might find it weird you know dropping their kids off and you see a guy in there with you know tattoos all over and, and whatever I said but that's what we love we love embracing yep. the diversity of who yep. people are yep. and they said yeah so at our last church a guy came to the church he was a Jamaican guy and he had long dreadlocks and after the service the pastor said uh, we're so glad that you're here, but when you come next time, can you please have those up, you know, and ha have your uh, dreadlocks covered and hidden, basically? I'm thinking, like, what? what gives you the <laughs> right to tell somebody that your hair is not acceptable for church? Maybe he feels it's too distracting because his sermon isn't interesting enough. I was just going to put my hair under locks. <laughs> 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 Yours would look good. Little tiny treadlocks. <laughs> Who would come back? Who would come back if that was said to them? And, and so, so that puts us, you know, many of us, we like, we all want to identify with the loving father, right? But in, in that case, and again, I don't know the, the people or anybody involved with the situation other than the story was just relayed to me this past Sunday, but it's like, that was clearly an older brother move. That was clearly a... Oh, you're here? Well, you know what? If you're going to come, we need you to cover that up. You know, and I've heard similar stories of people with tattoos going into churches yeah, and yeah. saying, hey, well, if you're going to come, we need you to wear long sleeves. We need you to do this. We need you to take do your that. earrings out. Yeah, or, take yeah. the stuff Wear's out. And, you know, yeah. put, put a bandaid over that little cross <laughs> on your face, Johnny. So, but I mean, and that's the thing. It's like, are we loving? Are we. And now, I don't I don't ever suppose that we are the father in the story because the father, I believe, you know, as we pointed out, is God. But. We could be on his side. We could be the, the siblings saying, yeah, yeah, come on, Dad, bring him in. What does you Jesus know? say? Jesus says, people will know you're my disciples right. by your love for one another. Right. So it's like uh, the, the seven churches in Revelation. It's yeah. like, you know, like you lost your love. Yeah. It's like if you do all this without love, it's just noise. Noisy, and yeah, yeah, it's just a noisy yeah. gong. It's the, the old saying. If you're arrested for being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict you? Nah, he's mean enough. I'll just let him go. <laughs> Dude. He's one of us. Everybody wants to arrest me, you know? <laughs> yeah, I do want to jump to 14, though. And, okay. and this is, a, no, but this is, this is a good segue, right? This is a really good segue because what we're talking about is the prodigal son and the father and the brother. So this family dynamic. And so uh, chapter 14, uh, verse 25, all the way down to 33, but I'm going to highlight just um, what I have highlighted, which is... Mine's titled The Cost of Discipleship, right? Hmm. And if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, if you don't have ears to hear and eyes to see, right? If you don't have a soft enough heart, when you read this, you're going to be like, I thought Jesus was like all about love. And we we're just talking about he'll know by your love for one. Hate, what is he talking about hate now? He's teaching a lesson about hating your own family, including yourself. Right. Well, that's not healthy in today's culture. Self-love is huge, right? How could you hate yourself? Mm. So if you guys want to expound on this, you have the floor. Well, well yeah. Well, it would, if, I'll just jump right in here because I, I like that too. I, first of all, we, we know that Jesus is all about love. 
and we'll we'll learn that. And I know you touched on it, Johnny, in some texts uh, when we get to 16. And just seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? It seems like a contradiction. But Jesus is making a point. It, it it doesn't mean he wants us to go out and you know and hate our mother and father, kill our children, and that's that's not what he's saying here. He, I, I wrote a question for myself because I'm guilty of this. And my question was this, and I'll, I'll put it in terms of we. Are we distant followers of Christ, or are we disciples? Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I got out of this. I'm saying, okay, Jesus, are we distant followers, or are we really disciples of him? And we make that determination. We have to put everything uh, to the side, subvert everything in our lives, and, it, and it's Christ, it's God first. If, if we're being a true Christian. I know somebody challenged me on that if that's not true. No, he, he, here, here's, uh, I'll read it in the Amplified Bible because the Amplified uh, amplifies it. it. It generally would take the original languages and intersperse them a little bit more. It says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, and then in brackets, in the sense of indifference to or relative disregard for them in comparison with his attitude toward God, mm. he cannot be my disciple. For example, um, if, if you said, uh, what is white? I could show you a color and you could say like, oh, that's white, right? And then I hold it up against a wall that is white, and you'd be like, oh, that's not even white. It's off white. It's <laughs> off white. It's blue. Yeah. Right? I'm like, how? You go to Home Depot, and I'm like, we're trying to paint our house. And my wife's like, I want to paint everything white. How long does it take you to pick white? Because there is not just white. You don't go to Home Depot and say, I would like some white paint, please. No. It's like, okay, we've got. 256 varieties Egg of white. Shell, right? yeah. Yeah. And then what sheen do you want? Cumulus nimbus. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I think we, we end up with sunset we, white. Spun, spun cotton is our white of choice. You know? Where do they um, get these? Now, somebody gets hired to make these. Yeah, I know. I know. Tell me about it. Artists. The point that I'm, that I'm making is it's in, it's in comparison, right? You think that you're loving someone. You think, oh, I love my wife, my parents, my whatever. This is love. And then you hold it up against real love, pure white, and you're like, wow, my love was black in comparison to what I see as real love. And so that's how I've always take, taken is, is it's the comparison if we don't love God more or if we don't hate them in comparison to our love for God and realizing his love for us, realizing that, hey, in comparison, the love that I have for my family, my friends, or whatever, it it, it almost looks like hate because the the dis, the distance between my love and God's love is more broad than the distance from my love and my hate, if that makes sense. So my love, my hate is here, my love is here, and God's love is here, and it's like this big spectrum. You're like, wow, this my love almost looks like hate because it's still so far away from what I'm supposed to be loving God. So that that's usually how I view and how most people would view this. Jesus is talking about, again, my, my opinion, or Jesus is talking about priorities. He's talking mm. about choice. What's your priority? And I, I'm just, I'm amplifying on Judah's amplification. It's, it's priorities is basically what it comes down to. What is our priority? He doesn't really, he's using strong language to get his point across. Mm. But he is not saying, oh, I, I, I want you to hate or dislike or be hostile to your, your spouses or your children. No, he, he wants to make the comparison, the priority that, you know, God is here and then everything else is underneath that. 
What is your choice? And, and, and I go to, uh, I don't know if Johnny got down to reading that, but if we take um, verse 28, chapter 14, we're still in verse 28, just the beginning of, but don't begin, this is Jesus speaking now, don't begin to be my disciple. I'm putting the parenthetical expression there, but don't begin until you count the cost, mm. until you count the cost, all right? And there's going to be a cost. So our first duty as Christians, Jesus is saying it there. Our first duty as Christians is to count the cost of following Christ. Yeah, do I have do I have the minerals? Do I have the salt, right? Do I have the gall yeah. to die to myself every moment that I get the opportunity to remember Jesus? Yeah. Every day, you know, every moment, every decision to die to myself to be an ambassador of Christ. That's the cost. Uh, and what you're referring to is 28 through 33. Mine reads, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not sit down and count the cost, right? So it's like you got to sit there after you read the scriptures, after you hear the gospel and be like, okay, well, I believe. Do I have what it takes? And then you say to yourself, well, I'm too selfish, which is what I used to do. I'm too selfish to serve. God loves me anyways. I'll event, he'll, he'll work on me enough. He started good work and you will see through. At some point, I will be sanctified enough where maybe I'll have a heart to serve the way Jesus does. Obviously, I got there, but you know what I mean? But, but I shouldn't have doubted, right? right? And at that time in my life, I, my faith was too weak to step forward like that. Do you know what I mean? I really just didn't believe. And I guess not enough in God and in his power. And eventually I got to that point, but I know, I know you wanted to say something before. No, this, I want to hear what it was. This makes more sense to me now, literally talking with you guys, than it ever has. Um, any man that, you know, doesn't put two hands to the plow isn't fit for the kingdom of God. And entering ministry, my family, friends, a lot of people did not agree with me entering ministry. And I was very upset. It was very disheartening. It wasn't... Uh, like guys, like my, like my heart was all in. I was so excited and they were the ones that dominantly put me down. It wasn't the enemy. <laughs> it wasn't the enemy. In fact, there was people that I cared about that I didn't expect for them to give me that answer. But it was the enemy. It was Satan getting into their Absolutely. minds. Absolutely. Yeah. flash of the world. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you and I first met, you had told me that. And I, I said to, you know, I totally found mm. your heart, what's good for you, because, mm. the, you know, people, your friends, everybody, sometimes, you know, you do get discouragement from them. And they're getting it from evil, Satan, putting it in their minds right. as a way to get to you. Right. But you followed what it said here. You counted the cost. I remember you told me you, you had just gotten done, if I recall, uh, welding, right? Mm -hmm. I just finished the, finish, just the finished certificate. School. You could have gone there and started yeah. to make a, 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 a good living at that. Mm -hmm. We talked at length at that when we were crossing, you know, in, mm -hmm. in beds there at mm -hmm. night. Mm -hmm. And you counted the cost, though, Lenny. So this parable should mean a lot to you, or going back to what he's saying uh, about disciples. You counted the cost, and you made a decision, right. regardless of what everybody else around you was right. telling you to do or not right. to do. And I'm saying that amongst my brothers. Like, I've been with you guys for years, and it's making more sense now. You're like, you know, it's crazy how that, what, what one's obedience can bring you. You're a great example because, again, and, and I know you've confided in me a lot, so if, I hope you don't mind me no, saying please, a few things here. Please. You know, going along, I remember you saying, you know, you know, there were difficult times, you know, how, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? And, and, and you counted the cost of, of your first duty. You, you followed that, uh, of following Christ, because 
you didn't know how you were going to make it, you know, being a pastor and, 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 and get a living. And you would tell me that. And I, and I, I tried to give you encouragement. Hopefully I did that, you know, things would be okay for you. And, and they are. Yeah. yeah I, I do want to uh, bring up the point of this. And so I'm, I'm going to go back to how, you know, we've come a long way in the gospel according to Luke. We started off with Theophilus and the miracles. And right now we're sort of in the thick of it. Jesus does all these signs and wonders, all these healings, right? Mm. And now he's got the attention of the Pharisees mm -hmm. and the Sadducees. Now he's got the attention of the people, right? He's got the attention of, I mean, even Herod, right? Yeah. You know? And so what does he choose to do now that he's got everyone's attention? He starts teaching in parables, referencing the Old Testament, right? And so I'm going to wrap this uh, chapter 14 section that we're in up with this. The cost of discipleship means to die every day, to take yes. up your cross, to be willing yes. to suffer on behalf over of Christ, to forsake people who you love, who will reject you because they are of their Literally. flesh, because they are of the world, right? Because they might be children of the devil rather than a child of God, but there's still hope for them, right? Yes. And so what do you gain? You gain everything. When I have Jesus, I have everything. Who you gain is the father from the prodigal son story. Mm. You gain everything mm. from this, mm. all power, all glory. We're, we're more than conquerors in Christ. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to our Messiah, Jesus, right? From the Father, right? He's given us the authority to tread on scorpions and serpents. So there's nothing, no matter how much we suffer, no matter how much you may become a martyr at some point, or you get rejected by your friends, your family, your job, your society, your world, it does not matter because these things are temporary. And he's making all things new, and we're a part of that. He invites us to be in fellowship with him. How amazing is that? It is. It, it, and I'm going to just jump into 15 again, where we didn't read the parable of lost sheep, but I encourage anybody who's listening to us to do this. Re read Luke 15. Read all of Luke, and, and you, you will understand uh, about being a Christian. But in 15, uh, verse 7, at the end of the story of the lost sheep, my book says, when that sheep was found, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God. Now, let me say that again. One lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous in heaven straight away. Uh, again, that kindness that God has that is beyond any of us, any man or woman, in, in the thing that God does not give up on a sinner. You, you, you made me go back there because you said, you know, it, it, there's, there's hope. Even if you're a sinner, even if you're one of those people, as you said, that is trying to poison someone else, there's hope for everybody. And that's what this parable is about. That's what the three of these are. But I, I, I like the thing about the sheep. And that's what they did because uh, back in Palestine in the, in, the, in the days of Jesus, yeah, sheep did get lost. And that was a big thing for them. They lived on that. Uh, one sheep was extremely valuable. But the, the, the theme that keeps getting repeated in these, look at, uh, that was at the end of the, the lost sheep. Just go down to the parable of the lost coin. The last verse there, the, there, 10. In the same way that that coin is found, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. What's the theme that keeps recurring? Repentance. Joy, and re well, repentance, and then joy. That, that, that God and the angels, that everybody is happy if just one sinner repents. This is how God is. Well, and, and the thing with the joy, I mean, it's like, wh what is bigger than somebody turning from a life of sin and choosing to follow Jesus? You know, and that's why, Nothing. you know, whenever we, we do baptisms, wherever I always kind of reference these verses and just say, hey, you know, we, we need to celebrate too, because it's like, 
you know, they're having a party in heaven over every single center that turns, you know, and um, and so we need to rejoice too. I mean, that's that's a that's a major thing that somebody says, hey, I'm turning from death to life. God says, what in, where is it, Joshua maybe? He says, I set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life. You know, and, and now they're saying, I choose life. And it's like, yeah, all right, way to go. You know, we're, so we're celebrating. Yeah, it really we're is, celebrating, though. Yeah. You know, it's like, like these mm-hmm. auto dealers, they celebrate when you buy a car. Hey, you chose a car. We're making money off you. You know, whatever. Realtors, they celebrate when you buy a house because they're making money. Well, heaven is celebrating when you make that choice to follow Jesus mm-hmm. and what a what a celebration that power is power of the gospel man yeah. it's the power it's the power that is in the word of god it's the power of Jesus that his grace is sufficient yeah his sacrifice is sufficient right it's like he offers it to everybody what kind of sheep are we are we the kind of sheep that yeah maybe you fall back into sin or you backslide or maybe maybe you never heard the, the message but when Jesus comes do you are you the sheep that when you hear the footsteps and you look and you see it's Jesus you keep running when you've sinned, you're ashamed, you don't go to God, or are you the kind of sheep that's like, okay, yeah, God sees my sin, and I'm going to go to him because I know he's a loving father who will take me back and set me on the right path again. Right. It comes back to our free will, is yeah. my point. I keep going back and back, but it, it, for, uh, is it in 14 here? Yeah, let's see here. 14, yeah. Yeah, 14, starting in, in chapter 14, ver- verse 15, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's the parable of the great feast. We had talked about that, I think, last week or the week before, or whenever we last met. And, and I'm, I'm looking down at the, um, at the, I think it's verse 23. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come, because the, the regular guests couldn't come. Do you remember why they couldn't come? Because they all had what? An excuse, right? Mm-hmm. They all had an excuse, and it's, and when you read 16 to 20 in that, of course, they end up inviting the, uh, the tax collectors, the sinners and Gentiles that the master of the house does. He tells his servants to go out and get them in. But when we think about it, and this ties in here for me anyway, I mean, every time you guys say something, just something else ties in is that all these things in life, it's like putting God ahead of our parents, ahead of our children and all that. It's like that all the things in life I think the tragedy of life is when all these things crowd out the claims of God. All these things that we think are good. Oh, I got a new plow. I got to go try it out. Yeah. I, got, I got this. I've got to go check it out. I, oh, I got married. I got to be. Yeah. All those yeah. things. <laughs> yeah, all those things crowd out the claims of God on us. What's funny is that when I read this, just a side note in general of Jesus' oratory skills, I believe like this was like almost like a comedy routine as he was saying it. Cause he's like, he's like, okay guys, this guy threw a banquet and he invites all these people. And then he says, Hey, are you coming? And the guy's like, I just, I just bought a car, but I got to go home and give, take it for a test drive. <laughs> and I was like, what? And then it's like, I just bought a house, but I got to go take a look at it. Cause I haven't seen it yet. And it's like, you know, I just got married, but I got to go meet the girl, you know, and, and everybody's like, oh, come on. Like, these are the lamest excuses ever. It's like, it's like, of course you didn't buy a car without test driving. And of course you didn't buy a house without looking at, for, of course you didn't marry some girl without. And, and that's what he's saying. He says, but they said, I have a field. I just bought a field and I got to go inspect it. People were like, what kind of idiot buys a field without inspecting it? Oh, excuse me. I bought five pairs of oxen. I bought 10 cows, 10 oxen, 10 of them. 
and I gotta go. I gotta go try them out. Yeah, I haven't exactly. tried them out yet. And the other guy's like, "Hey, I'm married." Everybody's like, "Yeah, sure, go for it," you know. So, but but I, I just kind of think like like as they're he's saying this, I I just imagine people are just rolling. They're just like, "Oh my goodness!" And then he's like, "Go out to the hedges. Go find the bums. Go find every. Bring them in." And and he kind of like reels them in. You know, he casts out the line, sets the hook, and then reels them in with this. So I don't. I just kind of pick. Always picture this as like this comedy routine as he Jesus was doing. Jesus is something. doing stand up yeah, according yeah. to Judah. But 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 again, just I don't want to lose the point that you know. Do we you know relating it to us because I like to do that for us and anybody else. Are we letting things like that, like Judah just enumerated, mm. you know, in our own society, though, bringing it up to date, modernizing it, are we letting things crowd out God, crowd out Jesus in our lives? Are we doing that rhetorical question? And we need to all ask ourselves that question, anybody that listens to us, anybody that we talk to. Here's the thing, right? If God is real and if God is sovereign and if God is holy, if God is what the Bible says that he is, right, it all comes down to God's will is going to get done. But God is such an awesome father, such the perfect father, that he invites us to participate. Yep. Like, it's kind of like this. I always think of it like this in my mind. If you've ever had to, like, move something big, like a big old couch or something like that, well, God could do it by himself. But he's like, hey, why don't you grab the other side there? So he could spend time with us. Mm -hmm. He invites us to, to see what it's like to be a part of his mm -hmm. will. And so do you respond to it when you get invited to the banquet? Right. Do you respond when the shepherd is approaching you, even though you're a naughty sheep, if you will, you've, got, you've gone astray, do you run away because you're, you're in trouble because you ran away? Or do you go back to him and you say, okay, I acknowledge what I did was wrong. I'm not going to do it again. So are we going to participate in God's will? And if the Bible really is prophetic, which I think it's proven itself time and time and time again to be true, yeah. Historically, you know, extra biblical, everything corroborates what the Bible says. What side are you going to be on? Are you going to put your faith and trust in God? And are you going to take up his offer to participate in the kingdom? Right. To be reconciled back to him. It's that simple. And if, and if you don't want to, fine, have it your way. But you only get it for what? About 80 years? Maybe 120 years? Cool. And that's best case scenario? Cool. Have it your way. And you're going to trade what? A human lifespan with riches and splendor and glory and all this sort of stuff for to miss out on an eternity with God, yeah. an eternity with Jesus, with the saints, with people who will love you forever, in paradisos, as it says in the Greek, in paradise, in the garden? Absolutely not. Hmm, exactly, hmm, mull that over. No, it's the truth though, because here's the thing, right? You're gonna get tempted. You're gonna get tempted to sin, and that's what it means when you go astray, right? Yeah. You're, so it's gonna be the lust of the eyes, right? It's going to be the lust of the flesh. It's going to be the world. It's going to be money. It's going to be whatever it may be. And those things are not of God. Just like there's a part where it says, I think it's in Luke, where, he's, where it says, um, if anyone loves uh, the world or anything in it, the love of the Father isn't in them. Actually, that might be First John. But the point is this, mm. right? I thought, gee, I thought we're supposed to be loving on all this stuff. And you're telling us to not love the world? Right. Well, the world represents the absence of God and just humans alone building the Tower of Babel or making decisions to do it their own way. That's what, that's what it means biblically when it talks about the world. And so no matter what kind of pressures you get, what does it say? It says, do not be conformed to the ways of this world, but rather be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Mm. Literally by reading the scriptures, by letting the word wash you clean, by taking the spirit of God in through your eyes and letting it clean you from the inside out, being sanctified, right? It's just... Yeah. I, I just, I, I don't know. I just felt like I had to say that, yeah. you know? Yeah, no, that's good.
That's good. Well, you know, the whole sanctification process is the the being set apart, right? Being set apart. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. You know, we, we are we are set apart for for God, just like you may have um, dishes in your house that are set apart for holidays or special guests or, you know, different things like that. And it's like God has set us apart and uh, and kind of reeling things back into, you know, what we're, what we're discussing here is it's like with these parables and with, you know, are we, are we willing to forsake these other things? Um, God is love. I mean, first John, right. Talks a lot. First John four um, talks a lot about, you know, how can you say that you love God if you don't love your brothers and sisters? And Amen. if, if you say that you uh, don't love somebody, how is, how is God uh, in you? Because, you know, God is love. I mean, God is love. That is an attribute that we know definitively about God. And that needs to be represented. And the Pharisees, they, they lost the plot. They missed the mark. They were more focused on the rules and regs than on the fact of love. Just like the older brother was focused on, well, hey, I, follow, I did everything right. And he missed the mark on showing love, mm-hmm. and uh, and the coins and the sheep and all these things. It's like there needs to be celebration, and uh, and it just shows the the love of God, how God loved each of us so much. It's so easy to miss the mark. It's yeah. like yeah. like with uh, they're talking about all the the, the rules, and it's like you got to follow every single rule then, or you could accept Jesus and let Him forgive you, and those are like you know those are like the two choices it seems to uh for like at least for the pharisees it's either like well yeah you got all these laws but you got to follow all of them which right. is impossible because of them i think some of them contradict each other don't they i don't know if they necessarily contradict each other but but it's definitely not easy to follow them all yeah, yeah. The, the point is this we're reading the gospel according to luke and what is what is the gospel it's the good news of victory of how god loved us Right. Despite us, while we were still sinners, while we rejected him, killed him on a cross, tortured the man to death, yeah. right? Tortured the son of God to death yeah. because we chose a sinful life. And, and all I would say is this, the whole point of sanctification is to be made a saint, right? And so Jesus came to show us who God is and to reconcile us back to God. And he's coming back again, he says, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so who's he coming back for? He's coming back for the saints. That's who he's coming back to take with him, right? Right. So ask yourself, am I being sanctified by the word? Am I being sanctified with my relationship with God? Or am I not taking up my cross daily? Right. Am I rejecting the ability to be sanctified to do my own will rather than God's will? As I was saying before, I just this 15, chapter 15, the, the three parables are just wonderful. And if I had to refer somebody really quick to something to see what God is all about, it would be here. Hmm. And in I had read the ends of the lost coin and the lost sheep about the joy. It, it, it go back to, um, again, we're in chapter 15, the end of the first part of the uh, lost son, uh, 22. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his fingers and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. Celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead. And now he has returned to life. He was lost. But now he is found. So the party began. And there is the exemplification of forgiveness. So uh, 
you know, from in those two verses, Jesus shows us that the Father's heart, meaning God's heart, hurts for the lost, the sinners, and God rejoices when the lost are found. I mean, even if you just read that parable through, just right up to there, without reading about the what the older son did, and just read there, somebody could capture the essence of God's love for us, God's forgiveness, God's joy over a lost sinner being re recaptured, redeemed. It's overwhelming to think that, hey, he takes us back, you know, even in this case where the son leaves, takes the inheritance, which, I mean, how does he get the inheritance? Because he asked for it. Yeah, but why? why? Why does he get it? Think about it. When do you usually get an inheritance? When, you're, when the parents die. Right. And so in this case, he's essentially telling his dad, I wish you were dead. Or, or you're dead to me. You're dead to me. I want the inheritance. Now, his inheritance allotment would have been considerably less than the older By brothers. The third. Yeah. And, and he's saying, Dad, you know what? I'm done here. I'm through with you. I'm through with everything. I don't want to wait for you to die. Just give me the money, and I'm out. Imagine the fights they must have had, huh? Yeah. And, and, and Dad goes along with it. I mean, that, that, this was not custom of the day, <laughs> you know? Imagine, the, to take that a little bit further, the hurt. Right. If, if you're Absolutely. The hurt on the Father. And so God is hurting when, when we sin, and he wants to bring us back if we, you know, if we change the analogy over to God and us as sinners. But here's a father. And, and, and again, we re remember that Jesus is using real-life examples of things that go on there. So, yeah, the estate was divided. And as Judah said, the, the, you know, the younger son would get less generally. About a third, two-thirds would go to the older son. And, and Judy hit the nail on the head because when I was doing some reading about it, I said, yeah, he's basically making his father out to be dead. Did it happen from my reading? Yeah, occasionally it happened that a son would ask for his inheritance before the father died, but it was the equivalent of saying, hey, Ben, you're dead. You know, to me, just give me my inheritance and I don't care about you. I'm leaving. Yeah. And he leaves. Even in our culture, imagine doing that. And that's I was yeah. thinking. That's exactly right, Judah. Yeah, if if your my, son my son came up, up to me and yeah. said, not that I'm old like to give us, hey, Dad, you know, give me what you were going to give me here because I need it right now. And I'm going to go and I'm going to go and squander it. Right. And, and I, would I be hurt? Yeah, yeah I would absolutely. be hurt. Yes. I've never heard it. I mean, I'm sure it's done this way too in modern day, but yeah. I've heard it the other way where like the parents, they give the kids the money because they want to see what you're going to spend the money on. Yeah. Well, in, in this culture, I don't think that was the, that was the case at all. I mean, it was no, that, uh, the, the, the lion's share goes to the older son, a smaller share goes to the younger son at the death. And then they go and, um, and they do it with it as they may. But I mean, you know, again, it's like, I, I can't even imagine being a father. And, and my kids, one of my kids coming up to me when they're a teenager and being like, you know what, Dad? It's like, I know you got a little bit of money saved for me and just give it to me now. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Yeah. You know, anything you were going to leave me in your will, just hand it over and yeah. see ya. You know, that old lamp. OK, I'll take the lamp, too, you know, or whatever. And it's like I'm like, man, that that's like that's harsh. And, and, and so so there again, OK. I think that even makes the homecoming more poignant, right? Because it's like you see the anguish that the dad probably went through. His son basically saying, you know what? You're dead to me. I want the money. I'm going out. I never want to see your face again. 
he burned bridges, man. Yeah. Like, yeah, he burned yeah, bridges. Yeah, and yeah. then he goes out and blows the money. So now he's not even got anything to show for it. And then he comes and it's like, how do I go back to dad? And and so no wonder, because like as a kid, I was always like, why why, why don't you just go back? Why does he think maybe I could be a servant? And I'm like, man, like this kid burned bridges. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to use that as a segue, though, because when I'm reading this, and again, I'm just talking about the first part of it. If you read 17, here's the answer to that question. You know, here this this boy, uh, this young boy, he he wasted all his money in wild living. He's eating with the pigs, or hopefully, or not even. But read 17. This is the hinge verse. When he finally came to his senses, right. just those, just that opening line. You don't even have to read the rest. When he finally. <laughs> I have to come to my senses all the time, and that's why I'm laughing. (laughs) It's a moment of clarity. (laughs) Thank you, Ben. I appreciate that. There it is, a moment of clarity. When he that that's the hinge verse right there. When he finally came to his senses, and I highlighted this, okay. And how how many times in, in any of our lives do we have that moment of clarity when you're in a situation and you're like, this isn't gonna work, or I can't do this anymore, or I am completely unhappy, or other times when it's the other way around, we're like, wow, this is really good, or, you know, because it works in both ways. I don't want to be all negative with it, but yeah, it, it, I think that's happened. It happens many, many, multiple times in my yeah. life. And, and Lenny might have been joking a little bit there when he said, you know, yeah, I got to come to my senses, but we all do actually, seriously. Yeah, yeah. When we come to our senses and realize that, and, and Johnny gave this example, and it was scary to me because. Do we want to, you know, for 80, 85 years uh, on earth versus an eternity of, of love with God? Right. Is that what we want to do? When, when, in other words, a tie in, when are we going to come to our senses? When do we come to our senses and realize that, folks, <laughs> we're, we're not even a speck in the scheme of things of eternity here? Right. Yeah, that's good. Well, let, let's let's wrap up for here, uh, for now, and we'll pick back up next week. We'll continue on. Uh, Luke 13 to 18, but a lot of good stuff here. Yeah. 15 has been yeah. uh, been great. 15 and 14. Thank you mm. for bringing us back into 14, Johnny. And, and actually, yeah. actually, we, we didn't go over that in, in that much, so no, that, there's no. still more stuff there's that we can hit there and, and all around. But, but yeah, great discussion. So we'll pick back up uh, next week. Well, we hope that you enjoyed our discussion today on the Thriving in the Word podcast. We invite you to leave a rating or a review wherever you're listening to this podcast also consider sharing it on social media we can't wait to be back together with you at the thriving in the word podcast